I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, I'm your host Sarah. And I'm Toby. And this is the Whispering Woods podcast. This episode is all about... Poltergeist. It is. So, I've got an introduction about Poltergeist for you to listen to. And then I've got two stories. Now, I wanted to do stories that not everybody would be familiar with. And so I've gone for the more lesser-known ones. Well, the lesser-known to me... Um, We do touch on a few of the main poltergeist stories in the introduction. But yeah, if you want to support the podcast and listen ad-free, please visit patreon.com forward slash The Whispering Woods. We're also at the moment doing a seven-day free trial so you can suck it and see. (laughs) So you can try before you buy. Do you know much about poltergeist, Toby? Mm, Not really, but... I know what they are. Yeah, so you kind of know what they do, yeah? Yeah. Okay, have a listen to the introduction. A poltergeist is a type of ghost or spirit that is believed to be responsible for physical disturbances such as objects moving or being thrown, doors opening and closing, and unexplained noises. The word poltergeist comes from the German words polten, which means to make noise, and geist, which means ghost or spirit. Poltergeists are often associated with homes or buildings that have a history of paranormal activity, and they are believed to be attracted to places with high emotional energy, such as homes where there has been a recent death or trauma. They are also believed to be more active during times of stress or emotional turmoil. Teenagers are often believed to be particularly susceptible to poltergeist activity. This is because adolescence is a time of significant emotional and physical changes, 
and teenagers may be more prone to stress, anxiety and other emotional disturbances. Additionally, teenagers may unknowingly trigger poltergeist activity through the use of Ouija boards, seances or other forms of paranormal experimentation. Some infamous cases of poltergeists around the world include the Enfield poltergeist, one of the most famous paranormal cases in history. It is the story of a family living in Enfield, North London, who claimed to be haunted by a malevolent entity that would move objects, throw furniture and even speak through an 11-year-old girl. The haunting began in August 1977 when Peggy Hodgson, a single mother of four, heard strange noises coming from her children's bedroom. She and her children witnessed furniture moving on its own, toys being thrown across the room, and knocking and scratching sounds on the walls. The family contacted the police, who witnessed some of the strange phenomena themselves. The case soon attracted the attention of the Society for Psychical Research, who sent investigators to the house to document the events. One of the most famous pieces of evidence from the case is a recording of the entity's voice, which was captured by a BBC journalist who was covering the story. The voice, which spoke through the Hodgson's daughter, Janet, claimed to be a man named Bill Wilkins, who had died in the house years earlier. The Bell Witch Portergeist is a fascinating and terrifying piece of American folklore. The legend of the Bell Witch Portergeist centres around the Bell family, who lived in Adams, Tennessee in the early 1800s. According to the story, the Bell family was haunted by a vengeful spirit that came to be known as the Bell Witch. The haunting began in 1817, when John Bell, the patriarch of the family, encountered a strange-looking animal in his field. The animal disappeared, and shortly after, the family began to experience strange things in their home. The family reported hearing knocking and scratching sounds on the walls and floor, as well as strange voices and laughter. The Bell Witch seemed to have a particular vendetta against John Bell, and she tormented him with physical attacks and strange illnesses, She even went so far as to poison him, which ultimately led to his death in 1820. The Bell Witch was said to be a powerful entity, capable of moving objects and speaking in different voices. She was also known for her prophetic abilities, and she would often make predictions about the future that would come true. The Rosenheim poltergeist is one of the most well-known cases of paranormal activity in Germany. It occurred in the Bavarian city of Rosenheim in the early 1960s and lasted for several years. The events were witnessed by numerous people, including police officers, journalists and scientists, and remain unexplained to this day. The activity began in the law office of lawyer Sigmund Adam in 1967. Adam's secretary, Anne-Marie Schraubel, reported strange occurrences in the office, such as objects moving on their own and unexplained noises. Over time, the activity increased in intensity and spread to neighbouring offices and buildings. The most remarkable incidents involved the office electrical equipment, 
Lights flickered, lamps exploded, and phones rang without anyone on the other end. The activity was so intense that the electric company had to install a special transformer to handle the energy surges. The local police were called in to investigate, and they witnessed the activity firsthand. They recorded temperature fluctuations, strange noises, and objects moving on their own. They even tried to prevent the activity by sealing the windows and doors, but the poltergeist simply moved through the walls. The Rosenheim poltergeist attracted international attention, and numerous experts attempted to explain the phenomena. Some suggested that it was caused by electromagnetic fields, while others believed it was the result of psychic energy. But none of the explanations were able to fully account for the strange events that occurred. After several years, the activity in the office gradually subsided, and the Rosenheim poltergeist became a thing of the past. But the case remains one of the most intriguing examples of paranormal activity in modern times. Despite numerous investigations and studies, no one has ever been able to fully explain the events that occurred in the law office in Rosenheim. The Mackenzie Poltergeist is a famous ghost story that has been circulating in Edinburgh, Scotland for many years. The story revolves around a poltergeist that is said to haunt Greyfriars Kirkyard, a graveyard in Edinburgh, and the nearby Greyfriars Kirk. The history of the Mackenzie poltergeist dates back to the 17th century, when the Covenanters, a group of Scottish Presbyterians, were imprisoned and tortured by the royalist forces of King Charles II. The Covenanters were locked up in an area of the Kirkyard, known as the Covenanters' Prison, where many of them died. In the 1990s, a homeless man broke into the Covenanters' Prison and disturbed the remains of the dead. Shortly after the break-in, strange things began to happen in the Kirkyard and the Kirk. Visitors reported feeling a sense of unease, hearing strange noises and even seeing apparitions. The Mackenzie poltergeist is said to be the ghost of Sir George Mackenzie, a lawyer and politician who was responsible for the persecution of the Covenanters. Mackenzie's tomb is located near the Covenanters' prison, and it is believed that he was disturbed by the homelessman's break-in. Since then, there have been numerous reports of paranormal activity in Greyfriars Kirkyard. Visitors have reported feeling cold spots, hearing unexplained noises, and even being touched by an unseen presence. The poltergeist is said to be particularly active around Halloween, and has even been known to attack people. The Battersea Poltergeist is a famous case of alleged paranormal activity that occurred in the 1950s in Battersea, London. The case involved the Irving family, who claimed to have experienced a series of unexplained events in their home, including objects moving and strange noises. The activity began in 1956, when the family moved into a new home on Whitcliffe Road. Shortly after moving in, they began to hear strange noises, including knocking and banging sounds coming from the walls and floors. They also reported seeing objects move on their own, including furniture, crockery and even a piano. The family claimed to have witnessed lights turning on and off by themselves, 
as well as hearing unexplained voices and footsteps. The activity became so intense that the family contacted the Society for Psychical Research, SPR, for help. The SPR sent a team of investigators to the house to document and study the alleged phenomena. The team included renowned paranormal researcher Maurice Gross and writer Guy Lyon Playfair. Over the course of several months, the team documented a wide range of activity, including objects moving, unexplained noises and even levitation. The activity was so intense that the team witnessed one of the family members being thrown from a chair by an unseen force. Despite their efforts, the team was unable to explain the source of the activity. Some sceptics suggested that the activity was a result of a hoax or the overactive imagination of the family. However, the SPR investigators were convinced that something paranormal was occurring in the house. These are just a few examples of the many poltergeist cases that have been reported around the world. While the existence of these supernatural entities is still a topic of debate, many people continue to report experiencing unexplained disturbances in their homes and workplaces. Interesting about the teenage energy thing that they attract poltergeists, isn't it? Yeah. You haven't got one though, have you? What, poltergeist? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> when I was a kid, I really wanted one. I watched um, an episode of The Waltons, which was, you know, it was a big, big TV show back in the day. One of the episodes was about the girl, I think her name was Elizabeth, and she had a poltergeist. I really wanted one because I thought that, you know, especially if people were mean to me, I could get the poltergeist to stick them, to yeah. get them for me, you know? <laughs> and I've always tried to enhance my telekinetic powers. Do you know what that is? You're waffling. Yeah, it's about moving things with your brain. Have you well, not ever tried that. it? I know that, but I've never tried it. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't. Oh, man, you miss out. I try it. I even try it now, and I'm like nearly 50. <laughs> but yeah, every now and again, I think I've mentioned it before as well, I stare out of the window, right? Especially when I'm in work. I try and psychically connect with Roger. So when he's packing away his stuff down in the basement, I look out of the window and I try and connect to his mind. You have more imagination, love. I told you. Find the magic in the world. You know? Yeah, man. It keeps you going. <laughs> right, are you ready for the first story? Yes, I am. I missed out a little bit of information, actually. Um... Just for the record, this poltergeist was in Scotland. Let's do it. For a period of around three months in 1695, the Ringcroft of Stocking at Ochinkern was plagued by a malicious entity that brought terror to the farms and homes in the surrounding area. The aggressive spectre reportedly hurled rocks at residents, ignited structures and assaulted and pulled members of a family. Local minister Alexander Telfair, who tended to the parish of Rerick, 
has left behind a vivid and meticulous eyewitness account of the occurrences. Keeping a detailed and explicit record, Telfair tried to make sense of the incidents and what is a lesser-known case of poltergeist activity. But the Galloway poltergeist is no less frightening. Telfair recalls the first incident that took place in the residence of farmer Andrew Mackey during February of 1695. One day, Mr Mackey was taken aback when he woke up to find out that the restraints that had kept his animals in place had been loosened overnight. Despite Mr Mackey's efforts to create more secure bindings, they were no match for the strength of the animals. Mr Mackey, a tenant farmer, was determined to keep his livestock safe and he made the decision to relocate them but his relief was short-lived when he discovered the next day that one of his prized cattle had been suspended by a taut tether of hair to the rear of the house, its feet barely grazing the ground below. The farmer was left horrified by this unsettling sight. Stone-throwing incidents were first recorded by Telfair in early March and persisted with considerable frequency particularly on the Sabbath. Especially in time of prayer, above all other times, it was busiest then, throwing most at the person praying, observed Telfair. By mid-March, the stones had grown in size and the hurling had escalated. Telfair recounted the harrowing experience of being pelted by stones and other objects, feeling the sharp blows of a heavy staff on his sides and shoulder, the sound of each strike even heard by those who witnessed the assault. Later that same evening, a persistent knocking echoed through the room, as if an unseen force was desperate to gain entry. The bedside was torn off and the wooden boards pounded. It was though something was demanding attention. That night, as I was once at prayer, leaning on a bedside, I felt something pressing on my arm, by casting my eyes hither, perceived a little white hand and arm from the elbow down, but presently it vanished, he said. It is to be observed that notwithstanding of all that was felt and heard, from the first to the last of this matter, there was never anything seen except that hand I saw, and a friend of the said Andrew Mackey's said he saw it as it were a young boy by the age of 14 years, with grey clothes and a bonnet on his head, but presently disappeared as also what the three children saw sitting at the fireside. As March progressed, the horror escalated to new heights. The nearby residents who came to visit were subjected to unimaginable violence, pelted with stones and thrashed with wooden poles. Andrew Mackey was left with a deep gash on his forehead and claw marks on his skin, as if he'd been attacked by a wild beast. The malevolent presence even took hold of some unfortunate souls, mercilessly dragging them up and around rooms, floors and ceilings. In the dead of night, the children were violently stripped of their bedclothes and subjected to brutal beatings that reverberated throughout the entire house, their piercing screams echoing through the walls. 
In the subsequent month, a couple of ministers, Mr. Ewalt, hailing from Kells, and Mr. Murdo from Cross Michael, made their way to Ringcroft to bear witness to the terrifying incidents. Telfair wrote, but it was cruel against them, especially by throwing great stones. Some of them, about half a stone weight, it wounded Mr. Andrew Ewart twice in the head, to the effusion of his blood. It pulled off his wig in time of prayer, and when he was holding his napkin betwixt his hands, it cast a stone in the napkin, and therewith threw it from him. It gave Mr. John Murdo several sore strokes, yet the wounds and bruises received did soon cure. There was none in the house that night escaped from its fury and cruelty, and also in the dawning as they rose from prayer, the stones poured down on all who were in the house. The ministers in attendance that evening confirmed Telfair's account. On April the 5th, the spirit set the building on fire, As the occupants evacuated the damaged property, they were pelted with stones. Upon her return the following day, Mrs Mackey was startled to find a bundle of paper containing flesh and small bones near the entrance. But the poltergeist was not finished yet. As Telfair writes, the three days following April 11th proved to be the most terrifying yet. Not one that came into the house did escape heavy strokes, wrote Telfair. As the months drew to a close, the house was repeatedly engulfed in flames until the fateful evening of April the 28th, when a section of the home finally crumbled, rendering it unsuitable to live in. On the 1st of May, a sheep house was engulfed in flames in yet another incident, but this proved to be the last malevolent act of the spirit as peace and quiet prevailed. Telfair's account concluded with the following. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, so that story, by the sounds of it, it did have children in the house because they were dragged out of bed. Yeah. So I wonder if it was their energy. I really am a believer in psychic energy, you know? I really do. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when Maisie was little, she was about three, and we were led in bed. No, probably younger, actually, about two. We were led in bed, 
and we were really tired and we were drifting off to sleep. But my intention was just to get Maisie to sleep. Yeah? yeah. I was meant to get back up. But so I'd left the telly on and I said something like, oh, I'm going to have to get up and turn the telly off. And Maisie shouted, turn off telly. And the telly turned off. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, absolutely, it turned off. So I do think there is something in energy and intention, you know, which is Turn magic. off telly. Yeah, she shouted with a little two-year-old voice, turn off telly, and it turned off in the living room. Amazing. Imagine if Willow does that. Yeah, I made, well, that would freak Maisie right out. I can remember when she first moved into a flat and uh, she thought there was a ghost in there. <laughs> <laughs> and she thinks there's a ghost in the living room here where we're recording, doesn't she? I don't know. Yeah, she said she senses it. <laughs> I'm like, there's nothing in there, love, you know? Mind you, yeah, I mean, I'm never frightened to come downstairs on my own. Unless... Um, I ain't. No. It's well, my house. Yeah, I have been... But when I'm in the house on my own, so say you and George aren't here, mm. it's, it's a different story, yeah. you know? But then everything is. Right, so the second story is also about another Battersea poltergeist, but it's not as well known as the Battersea poltergeist. <laughs> Are you ready for the second story? Yes, I am. In December of 1927, Mr Henry Robinson's family home in Battersea's Eland Road caught the attention of both the police and the local media due to reports of eerie poltergeist-like activity. It was on the 19th of January 1928 when Harry Price, the president of the Ghost Club, took on the investigation of the case. Henry Robinson, then 86 years old, resided in the house with his four children, Frederick Robinson, a tutor, aged 26, Kate Robinson, a schoolteacher, Lila Robinson, another schoolteacher, and Mrs Perkins, a widow with her 14-year-old son, Peter. Frederick and Kate Robinson provided Price with the background story of the case that was featured in his book, Poltergeist Over London, 1945. Except for Percy, said Mr Robinson, we lived in the house for 25 years, happily and peacefully. Then on November the 29th, lumps of coal, pieces of soda and pennies began to fall on the conservatory, a lean-to building at the back of the house. It stopped for a few days. It began again early in December. It struck me as being extremely curious at the time that, although the pieces of coal were very small, they broke the glass. Things became so serious that I decided to call the police. I had no other idea except that some person was throwing things over the garden wall. A constable came along and together we stood in the back garden and kept watch. Pieces of coal and pennies crashed onto the conservatory roof, but we could not trace their flight. One lump of coal hit the constable's helmet. He ran to the garden wall, but there was nobody there. On December 19th, our washerwoman said she would not work any longer in the house. She came to me in a state of terror and pointed to a heap of red-hot cinders in the outhouse. There was no fire near. How could they have got there? Again I called a constable and we decided to watch in the kitchen. 
two potatoes were hurled in while we were sitting there. It was on Monday that the climax came. At nine o'clock in the morning, and for an hour, the family was terror-stricken. There were loud bangings in all parts of the house. My sister ran to tell the magistrate. The window panel in my father's bedroom was smashed, and as he was in such a state of fear, I decided to remove him from the house. I called a man from the street, and together we carried him from the room. Just as we were taking him out, a heavy chest of drawers crashed to the floor in his bedroom. Previously, my sister had seen the hall stand swaying and had called me. I caught it before it fell, but some strange power seemed to tear it from my hands, and it fell against the stairs, breaking in two parts. Confirming Mr. Fred Robinson's statement, Mr. Bradbury, who was brought in to assist in the relocation of the elderly gentleman, stated, Mr. Robinson called me to his house, and when I arrived there at about 10 o'clock, there was a fishmonger and a greengrocer discussing with him what had happened. I saw several women in the house, and they appeared to be very frightened. Mr. Robinson took me up to a bedroom where he said his father had been sleeping and showed us an overturned chest of drawers. One of the women said that she was afraid to stop in the house and that she was also afraid to go into her room to pack up her clothing. We went with her into her room and she told us that she had been awakened by loud bangings on the door and crashing of glass. We stayed there until she had packed her bag and then returned to the back bedroom where Mr Robinson showed us pennies and coal on the conservatory roof. The four of us, all men, were watching these when suddenly from another bedroom came a great crash and downstairs we heard a woman scream. We ran to the room and there we saw a chest of drawers lying on the floor. It was all very strange and Mr Robinson then took us to the kitchen and showed us the damage done there. During an initial visit to the Eland Road location, Henry Price bore witness to the destruction caused by the poltergeist and heard the unmistakable sound of a wooden-handled gas lighter being hurled through the air. Frederick Robinson was immediately suspected as the culprit behind the paranormal activity, prompting the police to escort him to St John's Hospital in Battersea for a mental evaluation. But despite Robinson's absence, reports of supernatural occurrences persisted. On Monday, January the 23rd, 1928, Mrs Perkins filled Price in on some peculiar happenings in her home over the weekend. According to her, the furniture had taken on a life of its own. Chairs had inexplicably sauntered down the hallway in an orderly fashion, and on Saturday evening, when Mrs Perkins was preparing to set the dinner table, the chairs had coordinated to pile themselves up on top of it. After this had occurred three times, Mrs Perkins had ventured out to the street to seek help from a passing policeman who had initially suspected her of staging the odd display. Miss Robinson provided additional evidence detailing how a table and umbrella stand had toppled over, causing an Atachi case to be launched from a nearby chair and crash onto the floor. We were so frightened that we went outside. Through the kitchen window, we saw all the kitchen chairs fall over, we went upstairs and found stones on the roof. An extraordinary part about it is that the furniture seemed heavy to pick up again. 
Terror had consumed Peter, the 14-year-old child, to such an extent that he refused to take a seat in any of the chairs within his reach. The only solution to his distress was to dispatch him to the countryside, where he could convalesce in peace. Once more, on his latest visit, Harry Price was privy to a sound that caught his attention. To me, the noise sounded like the fall of a heavy boot or brush, and I at once began to look for such an article. So did the evening news representative, Mr Grice, who accompanied Harry during the investigation. In a minute or so, I saw something dark under a chair in the corner, and putting my hand on it, I found it was a pair of ladies' black shoes. Actually, I put my hand on a hard object, which was in the right shoe, and brought it to the light. It was a small bronze ornament in the form of a cherub, weighing about four ounces. The cries of astonishment, real or simulated, with which the ladies greeted my find, were renewed when it was discovered that the ornament was missing from the mantelpiece of the front sitting room, where, I was informed, it had reposed together with its fellow cherub for 25 years. We assured that these cherubim had never been removed from the front room. I continued my search of the kitchen, but could discover nothing else which could have fallen. If the bronze ornament really came from the next room, it must have made two right-angled turns and travelled over our heads. It is conceivable that the ornament may have been thrown by one of the women, but I was within a few inches of both Mrs Perkins and her sister, and saw no suspicious movement on the part of either. Mr Grice also declares that he saw nothing that could account for the flight of the ornament, which was quite cold when I picked it out of the shoe. If it had been held in the hand, it would, of course, have retained some of the heat. Afterwards, the house was sealed off, as stated by Price. The family was completely unsettled by the bizarre happenings. With the men of the household away, one daughter unwell and the young boy sent to the countryside... The remaining sisters resolved to leave the house. The constant crowds were causing them distress as well. Mounted police were required throughout the weekend to disperse the curious onlookers who gathered in the street day and night, fixated on the slightest disturbance, such as a few shattered windows. On Saturday night, rowdy hooligans from Battersea even threatened to forcibly enter the house if they were not given the chance to personally investigate the strange occurrences. After a short period, the house was once again made accessible, and Mrs Perkins was in attendance during Harry Price's subsequent visit. On Wednesday 25th of January 1928, at the recommendation of the Daily Express editor, Price enlisted the services of a medium to accompany him to the Elam Road property. But the psychic's efforts proved unfruitful, and in the course of their investigation, a bar of soap was discovered in the upstairs corridor with no discernible explanation. After a brief lull, the unusual occurrences stopped and the investigation was concluded. Frederick was granted permission to return to his home and Henry passed away while receiving medical care. The family relocated to a different residence following these events. In the backyard one could catch a glimpse of a secluded asylum where individuals suffered from shell shock were taken care of. 
suspicions arose that the Robinson family, who had experienced issues with the patients before, had used a catapult to launch projectiles from the asylum, which was located 80 yards away. But this theory did not account for all the strange things reported. Paranormal investigator Price entertained the possibility that a member of the family may have fabricated the disturbances, but could not discern a motive for doing so. Price rate. The incidents of the gas lighter, the cherub and the soap are still puzzling me. On the three occasions when I witnessed the movements of the objects, I can never be quite certain that a normal explanation could not be found for the supposed phenomena. I feel convinced, though I have no evidence, that the disturbances were started originally by some of the soldiers who were receiving treatment at the private mental home. That the worry and anxiety caused by these disturbances may have reacted on some of the Robinson family seems obvious. Whether this reaction was a normal or extra-normal one is, in the absence of further evidence, a matter for speculation. But I consider that the evidence for the abnormality of the occurrences is much stronger than that for the theory that the Robinson family were wholly responsible for the trouble. Any thoughts on that story? Mother teenager. Yeah, you love London as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't been for a while, have we? Nah. Not that we go that often. That's <laughs> <laughs> home when I was like, well, when we went was on Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. When we went to the Harry Potter world. Yeah, that was last year. That was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. I do have fond memories and that massive storm. Yeah. That wake it all up. Yeah, no, I was walking around outside. Yeah, you were loving it. Yeah, <laughs> but I couldn't find her, or or like block on the hotel. <laughs> I, I didn't really know where it was, so I found it in the end because I towed Roger's car. <laughs> it was a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they keep they keep threatening us with storms, but we don't seem to be getting any here, do we? Nah. They have late. I in had London. it in Lawrence Westman and in Selby. Did you? Yeah. I heard one thunder rumble, and that was it. It's such an anticlimax all the time. I get really excited. I can feel all the energy in the air, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm just not bothering anymore. <laughs> I'm going to put my storm sounds on like I used to. <laughs> but back to the story. <laughs> We're getting sidetracked. Yeah, that one's really interesting. Good point about, you know, the asylum, as they were called then, being pretty close because it could have been something to do with the prisoners. If somebody locked me up, I'd definitely be finding something to amuse myself. And yeah. Throwing coal and pennies, that could do. <laughs> I'll be watching out of my, my room window. It's probably more like a cell. Yeah. Laughing to myself all the way. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know what you'd like to hear. Yeah, and we will catch up with you again next week i think saying that we will have another extra episode on friday because once again i couldn't fit all of the poltergeist stories in so we'll catch you then if you listen goodbye take care everyone imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We'll be right back. 